All four Gospels give an account of Jesus indulging in a violent rage against the sellers of animals in the temple and the money changers. Why? Well, we need to go back to the very beginning of the temple and its purpose. God gave very specific, detailed instructions to Moses for the construction of the first temple, actually a tent, called the Tent of the Meeting, and detailed instructions on how to worship. It is all recorded in the book of Exodus, chapters 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, and 30. Now, contrary to the views of many today, in which worship is somewhat reduced to entertainment, God has always taken and now takes worship very seriously. Not because God needs worship, he doesn't, but we do. And because we need worship, it is just too important to be left up to whim or innovation. There, in a structure made by human hands, the divine presence of God would dwell on earth with his chosen people. Over time, the tent of meeting would be replaced with a fixed structure in Jerusalem during the reign of King David. The temple would suffer violence and plunder, but eventually be rebuilt. During the reign of King Herod the Great, the temple began a massive renovation program starting in 19 BC, and Herod spared no expense, and the temple was considered to be one of the marvels of the ancient world. The renovation lasted right up to the very day that the Romans destroyed the temple in 70 AD. In fact, the incredible wealth invested in the renovation of the temple was used by the Romans to help pay for the construction of what today we call the Colosseum that began under the reigns of the emperors Vespasian, Titus, and Domitian. That took from 69 AD to 96 AD. From their earliest days, the people viewed the temple as the only place on earth where God can be approached where the devout Jew could offer sacrifice as a sin offering, where the worship of God reached its highest level and expression. Wherever a Jewish person lived in the world, his or her focus was always on the temple in Jerusalem. And to this very day, even though the temple no longer exists, it is not uncommon to hear at a Passover meal next year, Jerusalem. Now, the gospel tells us that Passover was near. This is a critical detail. It is estimated that well over half a million visitors would come to Jerusalem for this most critical of all Jewish feasts that celebrates God delivering his people from their slavery in Egypt. But Passover means so much more. For the Jew. At every celebration of the Passover, God is as real, present, saving as he was at that first Passover thousands of years earlier. 
the passage of decades, centuries, millennia, has no effect on the power of God's presence. And that is precisely why Jesus would institute, establish the mystery of the Eucharist as a perpetual sacrifice during that final Passover in his earthly life when he would enter into his passion. Wherever his church gathers, he is as real, present, and saving now as he was at that first Eucharist with the passage of time meaning nothing. Now, with so many pilgrims streaming to Jerusalem for the Passover, lambs had to be available for purchase and sacrificed by ranks of priests who took shifts to properly offer each animal as a sacrifice to God. And people would then take their slaughtered lambs, skewered with two long pieces of wood in the form of a cross, and they would return to where they were lodging to prepare the Passover meal. Try to imagine hundreds of thousands of people all walking around Jerusalem, carrying around what essentially was a crucified lamb. The lambs, however, could not be purchased with Gentile coins, which usually had images of pagan gods on them. So money changers were necessary. They, they used exchange rates to transfer pagan coins into the temple currency, the shekel, so the lambs could be purchased without ritual impurity. So at this time, this most critical time of Jewish feasts, a time of intense religious fervor and hope. Why did Jesus act the way he did? He gave an important clue. He said, take these out of here and stop making my father's house a marketplace. Note that expression, my father's house. The, those words had to have been as shocking as Jesus' actions. He was claiming, as only he can, a personal, intimate identity with the very God that only the high priest could address, the very God who gave Moses the building instructions for the first place of divine worship. It is from this identity from the reality of his being the Son of God, that Jesus' ministry to teach, to forgive sins, to heal, to raise the dead, to offer the mystery of the Eucharist as a perpetual sacrifice would come. The religious authorities, of course, did not understand. But neither did the disciples until after the resurrection. The gospel, however, turns and asks us, but do you understand? And we have to give an answer. Jesus' actions, however, suggest something more. The temple was to be eclipsed, replaced. Its function was not only to be the center of Jewish spirituality and life, but also be the means by which the knowledge of the one true God would be made known to the non-Jewish world, a missionary purpose. There was an area called the Court of the Gentiles. It was established in the temple complex so non-Jews who believed in God, they were called God-fearers, 
yet they didn't yet convert to Judaism, this place would be reserved for them so they could worship God. Around the year 30 AD, however, the high priest of that time, Caiaphas, allowed the court of the Gentiles, the only place non-Jews could gather in the temple to be used to store the animals for sacrifice, effectively banning the non-Jewish worshipers. The temple, the Jewish religious authorities had lost their missionary zeal. They turned inward into themselves and this is what Jesus attacked. Christians today, though, have to ask the uncomfortable question, have we done the same? Now, we do not have a fixed temple, but our baptism in Christ makes us living stones of a holy edifice, the body of Christ, the church. But have we lost our missionary zeal? Have we turned inwards? It's so easy to do. When the church, when our faith is constantly attacked and mocked by the media, by mainstream entertainment, by mainstream culture, even some of our cultural institutions, like our academic institutions, and in some cases by governments, it's so much easier to lay low, be quiet about our faith, hoping we will be left alone. We will not be left alone. It is so easy to develop a mentality that says, well, my faith is a private thing. I, I never bring it out into the public arena. But that is the very violation of what faith empowers one to do, to proclaim the good news, the reason for our hope, Jesus. There is no longer a fixed place on earth to encounter the living God. The believer has a direct encounter with Jesus through his or her union with him in baptism and is renewed in Jesus through the gift of the Eucharist. We have access to Jesus anytime, anywhere, any place. But do we allow this blessing to compel us to share the good news of our salvation with others? Or do we just zip our lips and be quiet? If we are not sharing the reason for our hope, we need to ask ourselves, why? Why?